All right, well, we're going to be in 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19 this morning. So let's, uh, before we get there, let's take a moment and pray together. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity we have to just come into your presence. Uh, you're here already, Lord, um, and you are welcoming us into being in your midst. We've had a chance to sing about you. We've had a chance to give. We've had a chance to pray. Um, now we're going to get a chance to open your word and hear you speak to us. And so I pray you'll speak to us in a powerful way. Speak through me. Speak to me as I'm talking. And uh, may this come out clearly in just the way that it was written to be uh, communicated. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, yeah. I want to tell you, first of all, for those of you in high school, middle school who went to Rush Camp and some of our adult workers, um, I am actually taking a message that I did at Rush Camp on Tuesday evening, and uh, I decided to rewrite it over the summer and put a completely different ending on it, and I'm going to preach it this morning. And uh, I usually come back from study breaks um, just with kind of a different way. I mean, come back with a vision message or some big takeaway from the summer, something that I learned something that God really taught me over the summer. And so why in the world have I come to this place the first Sunday back and I'm speaking on discouragement? Well, because that has been a part of my summer. And uh, as as I've wrestled through it, I've had to continue to go back to the message that, uh, that God gave me at Rush Camp just to find instruction and encouragement for myself. And as I've been praying for the church over the summer and, and you know, talking to some of you and, and watching some of the things going on social media, this is, I, I really felt that this is where God has led me to be this summer and, or this morning. And so some of you may be thinking, uh, my gosh, Brian, I mean, you, you just had four weeks off from speaking and from being in the office. So what in the world could you ever be discouraged about? Well, a couple things. Um, one is I'm going to be turning 50 in August, and the reality of that, it's actually August, it's a couple weeks from now, so the reality of that has hit, hit me. Uh, my youngest son, uh, tomorrow, will be a senior in high school. My oldest son's a junior in college, so in a year we're going to be empty nesters, Amy and I. And, and, I'm, and I'm looking at pictures of the boys being babies, and I was like, my gosh, time is moving by so fast. Where did all this time go? And so the reality of it, you know, all kind of sinking in. And I'm, listen, I'm a guy that loves change. So all of this change is kind of, you know, kind of hit me. Plus, plus my, my baseball team that I love, the Detroit Tigers, has, they have just stunk this summer. So you put all of that together, and it's just been like a, like a concoction for some discouragement. Well, um, Many of you can relate uh, to feeling discouraged, even through the summer months. Um, some of you are discouraged that your kids are going back to school tomorrow. Some of you, they could have gone back two months ago and you would have been doing cartwheels. Some of you may be even a bit depressed this morning about something. And it's led you, maybe in all of that, it's led you to wrestle with some questions about God. I mean, you know, maybe a question like, does he actually care about me? Is he truly concerned about what's, you know, what's going on in my life? Does he actually care about all the problems that I'm currently dealing with? Maybe you're a person that, that you struggle with doubt or you struggle with fear or you struggle uh, with just, maybe you get easily discouraged, or you, or you get down on yourself, or maybe you overthink and analyze everything. Maybe you struggle with a bit of depression. And here's the question that I asked, uh, that we asked the kids at, at Rush Camp, and, and the question that we kind of focused was, God, are you really even there for me? That was kind of the theme of our whole camp. Well, in 1 Kings chapter 17, we're introduced to a prophet by the name 
of Elijah. Now, for many years, uh, when God wanted to speak to the nation of Israel, he spoke to speak through a prophet. And here in 1 Kings 17, 18, 19, we see and we're introduced to this man by the name of Elijah. And what prophets did is they spoke to kings and to nations on God's behalf. Sometimes prophets had good things to say. Sometimes they had bad things to say. But whatever God told them to say, their job was to say it. And Elijah was bold. He was fearless. He was a, a kind of an in-your-face kind of guy. He could really, but also he could really get down. I'm not saying he could shake it on the dance floor. What I'm saying is the guy struggled with discouragement. And he really struggled with some dark feelings. He probably struggled a bit with depression. Now, Elijah was a prophet during the reign of a very wicked king by the name of Ahab who had an even uh, more wicked wife whose name was Jezebel. And we today we don't know of any little girls named Jezebel, and there's a reason for that. Jezebel was straight up evil. And together, she and Ahab were very, uh, a very evil couple. They had very little evil children. Uh, had a lot of evil going on there. And one day, Elijah, a, the prophet, comes to Ahab on God's behalf and says, because you're so wicked, God is going to bring a drought on the land. And so for several years, it did not rain. And that's what Elijah told him. It's not going to rain for several years. Well, Elijah was not a happy camper. So he calls for a nationwide manhunt uh, and puts a price on Elijah's head. And Elijah had to run and hide for his own safety. Now, uh, that's chapter 17, basically in a nutshell. In the middle of chapter 18, we're now three years into this drought. It has not rained for three years. And Elijah and Ahab finally have a meeting, and they have a showdown on the top of a mountain in Israel, Mount Carmel. I've actually been to this mountain and to the place where the Israelites believe that this story that I'm about to tell you took place. And this is one of my very favorite stories in the Bible. Elijah tells Ahab, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather all of your false prophets and prophetesses, and we're going to see who serves the real God. Now, there was a huge problem with false idol worship uh, back during this time, and really throughout the, the, the book, much of the book of the Old Testament, um, particularly in the worship of the false god Baal and his female counterpart, Asherah. They were the false gods of the day. Now, I want to give you just a little summary of what happened, and it's kind of a fun little story. Um, Elijah says to uh, Ahab, I want you to get all of your prophetesses and prophetesses, and here's what we're going to do. We have a little showdown, and here's how this is going to work out. I want you to get a bull, okay? And I want you to build an altar, and I want you to sacrifice the bull, and I want you to, to cut the bull up into pieces, and I want you to put it upon your, the altar that you have, and I'm going to do the same over here. I'm going to get a sacrifice, and I'm going to build an altar, and I'm going to build a trench around my altar, and I'm going to put 12 stones that represent the 12 stones of Israel. And when I say go, you and all of your crazy false prophetesses and prophets, you're going to start calling out to your gods to see if they will come down, rain down fire from heaven, and consume your sacrifice. Well, morning happens, and they present their bull on this altar, and they begin to chant and cry out to Baal and to Asherah, and nothing happens from morning till noon. Well, about noon, Elijah decides to get a little snarky, and he says, maybe your God is busy. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's just just too busy to, to engage in what you're doing. Well, they go into a complete frenzy. They take out knives. They're cutting themselves. They're cutting themselves with swords. I mean, it's wacko time, all right? 
Well, after this has gone on for several hours, Elijah says, enough of this. And he begins to worship God. He begins to call from heaven for the God of Israel to to display himself. And when he does, fire comes down from heaven, and it consumes not just the bull, but Elijah had also asked his servants, I want you to take four large water jars. I want you to pour it over the bull, and I want you to do it three times. I want it to fill up the trench. And when fire comes down from heaven, not only did it consume the bull, but it consumed the altar, it consumed the stones, and it consumed all of the water. And then Elijah takes the prophets of Baal down to the river, and he kills them with a sword. Now, in chapter 19, verse 1, here's where we're going to begin to read. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then then Jezebel sent a messenger to, to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, Elijah, I am so furious with what you have done that if I don't kill you within 24 hours, I want the gods to kill me. Now, Elijah, who has been bold and fearless for three years as God's prophet to this kingdom, is now scared to death. This one woman who has a lot of influence, has a lot of power, causes Elijah to run for his life and to sink into a deep state of discouragement and even depression. Here's this guy who's come off one of the most impressive mountaintop experiences in the entire Bible, and now he has sunk down deep into the pits of fear and discouragement and despair, and his discouragement is so deep that he sits down under a tree and he says, God, I want you to kill me. I just want to die. Now, you look at something like that and you go, how in the world does that happen? How does someone go from this incredible mountaintop experience to the depth of complete discouragement in a manner of just a few hours? Well, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Faulty thinking. Faulty thinking. See, your emotions are caused by how you think. And the only way to rewire your emotions is to change the way you think. And as we're about to see here, Elijah was overcome with faulty thinking. Instead of focusing on the truth about God's power and his goodness and his love for him, somehow his mind was overcome with lies about himself and about God. Now, in the world does a great prophet of God become overwhelmed by faulty thinking, even, especially in light of what just happened in chapter 18? And how does it happen to us? How does it happen to you? I mean, how does it even happen to me? Well, let's see if we can break this down a little further. Elijah's story gets a little even more interesting. In, in verse 3, it says, Then he was afraid. He arose. He ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went, to, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. In other words, God, I'm completely fed up. I'm wasting my life. There's no use trying. I'm throwing the towel. God, if you would, just have mercy on me and let me die. Now, I want to take a look at how Elijah gets to this place of deep discouragement. How, how did this happen? How, how does Elijah get to this place? Well, first of all, He focused on his feelings rather than facts. Elijah felt like a complete failure. He was tired and he was exhausted from his battle on Mount Carmel. And he has this mean, little, nasty 
powerful woman named Jezebel threatening him, and so he runs for the hills. And as he is running, he verbally beats himself up. Lord, I am such a coward. Lord, I am, I, 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 I'm a terrible prophet. I must be the worst prophet in the world. Lord, this is how I feel, so this must be true. Now, have you ever had a moment where mo- one moment you are on top of the world, loving life, you've just had something incredible happen to you or to someone in your family or whatever, and then the next moment you are completely in the pits of discouragement, asking the question, God, are you even there? And here's the truth. Feelings are not always facts. Elijah thought, here I am, I'm a prophet of God. God just used me to kill 850, maybe 450 false prophets, and now I'm running scared from this one little mean woman. What a failure I am, what a wimp I am, I am a coward. Some of you can identify with these emotions, can't you? Your feelings have overwhelmed you to the point where you just can't see past them. Your feelings have you trapped in the moment that you're in, and you're overwhelmed to the point where you just feel worthless, and what you have, and, and, and it's caused you to believe a bunch of lies. One of the things that I have learned over the years is not to believe everything that my feelings are telling me. And, I, and listen, I'm a feelings-oriented guy, but a lot of times your feelings lie to you. Don't focus on feelings. Instead, set your mind on facts, on truth. And where do we find truth? We find truth in God's Word, and it is that truth that not only holds us firm, but also sets us free. The second thing is he compared himself to other people. Look at verse 4. He said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah says, look at me for just a moment, God. I mean, I'm no better than my grandfather was. I'm no better than my father. They were cowards, so I must be a coward too. They were failures, so I must be one as well. See, when we compare ourselves to other people, we fall into three traps. Here's what we do. We lose, first of all, we lose sight of what is actually real. When we start comparing ourselves to other people's strengths, to their weaknesses, with how they look, or compared to how we look, without most of the time really knowing the reality of what's going on in that person's life, what happens? We lose sight of what's really actually real. The second thing is we become too critical. We start to beat ourselves up because we think we're not, we're not enough like so-and-so, or we're too much like so-and-so, or, and we begin to nag ourselves with a spirit of self-criticism. And then the third thing, we label ourselves. And when we label ourselves, here's what we do. Instead of saying, I made a mistake, we exaggerate and say, I am a total failure. Rather than saying, I didn't do very well, we go, no, I am the worst of all times. And instead of Elijah saying, man, I can't believe I allowed myself to run like this, he said, I'm no better than my ancestors. I wish I could could just die. Now, this is one discouraged man Now listen to what else Elijah did. Remember, this is God's man. This is God's prophet, his chosen anointed prophet. The third thing is he beat himself over things, beat himself up over things that were not his fault. Verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and, and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. In other words, God, I have worked my tail off 
for three years trying to straighten these people out, and they're no closer to being fixed than when I started. I have tried everything that I know to do, and look at, look at how they've responded. God, this is all my fault. I am a terrible prophet. In his, in his discouragement, Elijah blames himself for all of the negative things that Israel's, the Israelites had done. He took it all on himself personally. He put it all on his shoulders, and it discouraged him. It depressed him. Listen, when we assume responsibility that God never intended for us to have, we can get discouraged and depressed, can't we? And that's what Elijah did here. He took the sins of an entire nation, and he blamed himself for them. And then he exaggerated the negative. Verse 10, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Poor me. Elijah is having a pity party here. Everybody is against him in his mind. And the fact is, everybody was not against him. There was only one woman who was actually out to get him. And if Elijah had just thought about this for a moment, he could have realized that there was no way that Elijah was, that Jezebel was actually going to kill him. He was God's man. Jezebel promised that she was going to kill him in 24 hours. Now when we get to this point in the story, it's been 40 days. Plus, think about this. One little nasty, evil enemy of God woman against a man who has just been filled up with the power of God, who has just called down fire on heaven on 850 false prophets. But Elijah didn't stop long enough to think through this whole situation through. He got wrapped up in, his, in the emotions of the moment, and he dreamed up this wild scenario that wasn't even true. Anyone in here ever done anything like that? Something happens to you, and you exaggerate the negative, and then you create this whole world of thought in your mind that turns out to be false thinking. All of us have done this before, haven't we? When you exaggerate the negative, everything looks bad to you. The whole world stinks. Everything is terrible. And there's no way it's ever going to get better. And what do we do when, when, that, when that happens? Well, a lot of us do exactly what Elijah did. We try to run from our circumstances. If it, it, we, we think, if I could just get out of here, things will be better. If I could just move to a new job, if I could just get a new husband or a new wife, if I could take these kids and replace them with brand new kids, I mean... I think I could do that. If, if I could get a new church, if I could get a new group of friends, if I could change my surrounding, then everything would be better. But it's never really better, is it? It might be different, but it's not better. Why? Because although you may have changed your scenario, you have not changed you. And if you struggle with discouragement or maybe fear, even depression, changing your scenario is only a temporary fix. See, when we get this discouraged, it's not the world around us that is our problem. It's the way that we look at the world around us. It's how we filter things through our mind. It's faulty thinking. If you want to change your emotions, what do you do? You have to change the way that you think. But here's Elijah. I'm a failure. Everyone's better than me. I'm all alone with no one to help me. This is all my fault. Everyone wants to kill me. And Elijah plays this little mental game that goes along with discouragement. He focuses on feelings rather than facts. He falsely compares himself to others. He blames himself for things that were not his fault. And he exaggerates the negative. Aren't you, aren't, aren't you glad that you have never done that before? That you don't struggle with this kind of stuff? 
I mean, we can look at this and go, man, this guy's got some serious problems. That's some pretty extreme, out of the ordinary case of discouragement and depression. And then you look at James chapter 5, verse 17 in the New Testament, and it says these words, Elijah was a man just like us. In other words, we can learn from this guy because he was an ordinary guy that struggled in life with the same issues that we struggle with every single day. So looking at Elijah's life and how he continued to work through this, what should we do when we get discouraged? What what do we need to do? First of all, we need to take care of our emotional and physical health. Look at, what, look at how God steps in to minister to Elijah. Go back to verse 5 for a moment. As he laid down and he slept under a broom tree, behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him again and, and, and a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. God's very first step for Elijah's discouragement was rest and food and relaxation. I mean, it is a scientific fact that when you are physically and emotionally drained, you are going to be more prone to discouragement. It's a fact. Matter of fact, we're getting ready to do a whole series on discouragement. Physical, emotional, financial, spiritual healthiness starting next week. But I love how God deals with Elijah. Here's this guy that's just wigged out on him, his own prophet. And yet God doesn't come yelling and screaming and scolding him. He doesn't put him down or criticize him. No, he starts off by sending an angel who just comes along to minister to him. Brings him some fresh bread and some some clean water. Gives him some rest. He, he reaches down and restores him physically. That was the starting point. And if you're struggling with discouragement this morning, maybe it's due to just the fact that you are emotionally and physically out of shape. And what you need is some rest and relaxation. The second thing is you have to take your feelings to God first. Now, as I said a moment ago, Elijah was exaggerating the negative. But what he was doing right was he was sharing it with the right person. Even even though Elijah's assessment was completely wrong, he was pouring it all out on God. And he just came before God and he just vented. And what did God do? He listened. He allowed Elijah to vent. He wasn't shocked. He wasn't angry. He didn't criticize him. He didn't whack him upside the head. He just listened. Notice the emotions that that Elijah went through in this story. Verse 3, he was afraid. He had fear. Verse 4, he had resentment. He felt guilt. I'm no better than my ancestors. Verse 10, he gets angry. All of the, I've done all of this for nothing. And then he feels lonely. I am all alone. And then finally he's worried. They're trying to kill me, God. See, when you take fear and resentment and guilt and anger and loneliness and worry and you put it in a big pot and you mix it all up, what do you get? discouragement, and probably even some depression. I don't care who you are, that's where your emotions are going to go to. So what do you do when you get to that place? Here's what you do. You vent it all out on Facebook. That's what you do. Go, go there first. That's what some of you do do. No, no, no. That's, you don't go there. You, lean, you, you need to learn to pour all those emotions out onto God. He's saying, I feel guilty about those emotions. I I feel guilty about that. Listen, God can handle you. 
Trust me. He's not surprised. He's not shocked. He, he wired you the way he did. He sees everything that's happening to you. It's actually gone through his fingers before it ever got to you. Cry out to him. Take it to him first. And then third, get a fresh awareness of his presence in your life. Verse 11. And he said, God says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces of the rock before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I want to tell you, I love this part of Scripture. God takes Elijah out onto this mountain, out onto the edge of this cave, and he puts on a show. He sends winds that scatter rocks, shatter rocks. He sends an earthquake, then he sends down fire from heaven. I mean, it's like God is putting on something that's better than the best Fourth of July fireworks display you have ever seen. And then for the grand finale, the big, big ending, God does something amazing. He whispers to Elijah. The big power display, he whispers to him. And the Bible says Elijah heard it. He didn't didn't hear God in the wind. He didn't hear him in the fire. He didn't hear him in the earthquake. He heard him in the whisper. In the stillness of the moment, with a quiet whisper, he just asks Elijah a very simple question. What's going on here? Tell me why you are here. Now, why did God approach Elijah this way? Because he knew exactly what Elijah was going through. He wasn't mad at him for being fearful or being discouraged or even being depressed. He actually made Elijah to be kind of an emotional guy. God approached Elijah with a whisper because that's how he knew he would get Elijah's attention. And once he got Elijah's attention, he wanted him to know one thing. I'm still right here beside you. I haven't left you. Elijah, I have brought you here to stand on the side of this mountain so that you could get a fresh awareness of my presence in your life. Elijah's saying, God, are you even there? Are you even there? Do you even care? And when the whisper, God says, yes, Elijah, I'm here. And I've been here the whole time. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. God led many of you to this place, to this room this morning, just so you could get a fresh awareness of his presence in your life, just to remind you he's still here. He hasn't left you. He sees everything you've gone through, and he loves you. God knows all that you struggle with. He knows all of your fears. God knows you struggle with discouragement. God, he knows that some of you struggle with depression. He knows that you wonder from time to time if he really cares about you. He knows that you ask the question, are you really there? And here's my challenge to you today and for the rest of this week. If you haven't done this in a while, just take a moment today or tomorrow and just sit before God and open your Bible and let God's voice quietly speak into your life. I wish God would speak to me. When you read the word of God, he's speaking to you. 
And let it give you a fresh awareness of his presence. Let the truth of his word replace the lies that you have believed about yourself and about God. Get alone with him so you can hear his voice. Get a Bible, get a journal, get a pen, and just pour out your thoughts and your feelings like Elijah did in verses 9 and 10. And as you do that, let him speak back to you through his word. Let him meet your needs. Let him whisper in your ear. Listen, there have been several moments throughout this summer where I've just sat quietly before God with my Bible and a pen and a journal, and I just poured out my feelings to God. And there's a lot more going on than what I've told you. But listen, other times, and there are other times where I just I put in headphones. And I just allowed worship music to drown out the other noises in my head. I just let God's spirit quiet my spirit. When we get discouraged or even maybe when we get depressed, listen, we exaggerate that God is a million miles away and the fact is he's not. He is right next to you wanting to speak to you sometimes in a very still, small voice. The fourth thing is stay grounded in God's truth rather than lies and exaggerations. Look at verse 18. God says, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Remember one of the lies that Elijah believed? I'm all alone, God. The whole country is going to hell in a handbasket. And God says, no, 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 you're not alone. Israel's not quite as bad as you might have thought. There are actually 7,000 others that are actually fully committed to me. Committed to me, the God of Israel. Elijah had focused on his feelings rather than facts. He had falsely compared himself to others. He had blamed himself for things that were not his fault, and he had exaggerated the negative. And what did he find out? He was wrong. He had faulty thinking going on. The other thing you have to do is you have to stay connected to people. And we see Elijah, God leading Elijah this way. Verse 19, so he departed from there, the mountain, and found Elisha, the son of Japhat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And in verse 21, it says this, he set out, Elijah set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. God says, okay, Elijah, since you're lonely, I'm going to give you a friend to hang out with you. Just to minister to you, just to come alongside of you, just someone who will just be your buddy, someone you can share life with. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed that when people get discouraged, a lot of times what they do is they try to isolate themselves from other people. Listen, that's one of the worst things that you could do. God gave us each other. He created us with a need for other people to be in our lives, to carry our burdens. He gave us friends to, to walk through life with so that we would not be lonely. When God looked at man, when he created man, he got this is it's not complete. I've got to create a woman to go alongside with him. And then he brought other people into the world. And God has brought people into your life. Why? So, to, for many reasons, but oftentimes to walk with you through the hardest moments of your life. Listen, a small groups is, is our main discipleship vehicle here at this church. And, but one of the best things about small groups is that it just allows you to have friends in your life that just do life with you through the good, the bad, the ugly, all of that. You get a chance to dig into God's word together. You get a chance to go out and do missions together. But you get a chance to do life with other people. And oftentimes, when your life is falling apart and you're discouraged, it is those people that God has brought into your life that help you along. And I know some of you are introverts, and your worst fear is to sit in a, sit in a room with 15 other people. But God created you to need other people. 
We're getting ready to kick off a new small group season in a few weeks, and I want to encourage you, take your Get Connected card, fill it out, and say, I want to be in a small group, and we'll help you. So I know that we have a lot of people in our church struggling with the problem of discouragement, maybe even depression. Paul Richardson did a great message a few months ago on depression. I would encourage you to go back to the series before our David series and listen to that talk. It's a great talk. There's some of you in this room, I mean, you don't even feel like getting out of bed in the morning. You drug yourself here this morning. Some days you can't even make a decision because your mind's in a fog. You just feel trapped in a hopeless situation. You're constantly tired. Your mind is weary. Some some days you just feel like running away. I want you to know that whatever you are going through, it is not too big for Jesus. I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care how big you think it is, how unique you think it might be to you that no one else in the whole world maybe is going through what you're going through. It's not too big for him to handle. Here's what I've learned about dealing with discouragement. I can't control my emotions, but I can control my thoughts. And it's your thoughts that control your emotions. And I have to stay connected to people, and I have to stay connected to God's word of truth because there are days that my thinking is faulty. And so every day I have to fill my mind, I have to rewire my mind and my heart with a fresh awareness of God's presence in my life. Every day I have to keep preaching the gospel back to myself. I need to, keep, I need to stop listening to what I might say about me and listen to the truth about what God says about me. And you have to do the same. There's also times that I have to repent of my pridefulness, my prideful thoughts, my prideful emotions, sometimes fear and worry and a lack of trust and a lack of faith. And I don't try to beat myself with guilt over it. I just, I have, just give my faulty thinking to God and go, God, this is a mess. I am so sorry. God says, I'm here. I know who you are. So where do we start? You get alone with God and you let him speak truth into your life and into your mind through the truth of his word. That's where you begin this week. And you just allow him to give you a fresh, just a fresh awareness of his presence and a reminder that he's still speaking today, still reminding us of how much he loves us how much he cares about us, and even through the moments of discouragement and depression, he's still walking with us. For some of you here this morning, it begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never made that decision. You're still working to try to gain a place in heaven, and you're wearing yourself out, and God says, the whole reason I sent Jesus was so you wouldn't do that because you can't. Jesus came and he died for your sins, a perfect, unblemished sacrifice. And God, by in grace, offers that gift to you this morning and says, will you receive it by faith? Forgiveness for your sins, a chance to start over, an opportunity to be born again, and an opportunity to live in eternity with him. God wants to fill you with the power to change your life. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. I had several people walk up to me after the first service and just say, you know what, it's the craziest thing. I've been dealing with this discouragement. I don't even know why or they didn't know why. 
and they needed to be reminded of God's truth. I've had to go back to this many times over the summer. And so in just the quietness of this moment, some of you with heads bowed, this is your moment just to just remind yourself, listen, I'm sitting in the presence of God. And just, if you need to confess things before him, do that now. If you just need to just thank God for his, his, the truth and let it rewire the exaggerations or the negative thoughts that are going through your mind or whatever it is that you, that's been lying to you all summer or how long, however long, just let that truth sink into your mind. The truth of the gospel. If you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, do that now. We'd love to know you did it. You can just fill out your Get Connected card and let us know that you made that decision this morning. In just a moment, we're going to stand. If coming to these steps and getting on your knees would be meaningful to you at this moment, you just want to put your discouragement, your depression, your issues, your troubles just at the foot of the cross and getting on your knees would be, then you come and do that. If sitting down and just putting your head in the, in, in, in the head rest in front of you and just crying out to God is what you need to do, do that. If raising your hands and singing to God with all of your might during this song, you do that. But Lord, we thank you right now for the opportunity that we have to just recognize, Lord, the fact that you have created all of us different. Some of us, Lord, we are feelings-oriented. Some of us are very thinking-oriented. Some of us, Lord, but we're all, we all tend at times to get down, to get discouraged, to even deal with some form of depression. And may we just continue to replace those lies with truth. May we continue to realize we can be in your presence. And may we continue, Lord, to focus on facts. And may we continue to embrace the people that you have brought into our lives. And may we continue to be thankful for all that you're doing, even when we can't see it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.